Today we are continuing on with our Breaking Addiction series. This has been a very good series. We've gotten a lot of good feedback about this addiction series um, because generally, I guess, most people don't like talking about addictions um, because it's a shameful thing. You know, no one's admitting to their addictions daily or, you know, publicly as much as maybe we should do because they are embarrassing, they can be shameful. But we have to find a way of breaking these addictions. And so today we are going through our whole series and week one was admitting your addictions. The second one was about why we become addicted. And last week is about the things that motivate spiritual things, non-spiritual things. But this week we want to talk about the tools to overcome addiction. We want to get to the question of what does it take to actually do this? Now, I also have a book that I'm giving away for free. We've given it away for free all this month, today and next week. Be giving away for free. There's only a few left on the back uh, table. If you'd like to have one, you're welcome to have it. After that, you've got to pay the big bucks, right? That's the way it goes. But I'd love you to be able to take that book away. It's about becoming unstuck, becoming uh, detached from the things of our past that seem to drive us into pain. And uh, the fact is, we, all, we do know that Christians are not uh, without the curse of addiction in their life. Even Lazarus, when he was raised from the dead, had to be unbound by the things that actually kept him in there. And so we know that Christians have to find a way to overcome addiction in their life. And one of the best ways we can do that is actually talking about it. And so I, uh, I, I, I asked my brother here, uh, I'm going to put your name up. Look, this is how famous you are. Look, right here, what's addiction, blah, blah, blah. Sean Roberts right there, look. Now you made it big time. Now you're, you're, your name's on the screen. Now I asked Sean to actually come up and, and share his story about what God has done in his life when it came to addiction because you really came to a place years ago. In fact, you now run a group, don't you? Uh, yes. Specifically about this, but you came to a place years ago where you went, I have to admit this and I have to do something about it. Can you just tell your story? Uh, what's, what, what happened with you? Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> oh, it's written down. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is actually. good. No, I, uh, I want, listen, if I'm not prepared, then this isn't going to happen right. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's actually interesting. So uh, 2008 is when I came out, mm-hmm. right? And uh, in, at that time, uh, there was a lot of things that needed to be changed in my life. So, you know, right after, you know, baptism, I hit the, the ground running and mm-hmm. I was making changes left and right. Um, however, there was one thing that stuck with me, one thing that I couldn't seem to change on my own. And uh, it was something I just really struggled with. Mm. And so um, fast forward a little bit to I'm married and I now uh, am expecting my first child, Elliot. And so my wife and I, Sarah, are on our way back from a maternity photo shoot from the beach. And on that drive, a family member of mine called me and let me know that they had had an affair. Mm. And it was super devastating and... um, Of course, there was a lot of hurt, but I was able to get to a point where I wanted to be supportive and helpful to this person. So one evening they let me know, hey, I'm going out to a uh, a sex addiction uh, recovery group for this. And I was like, okay, well, I told you I want to support you. I'm coming with you. Like, you're not doing this alone. So I went out with them and I'm sitting there in the audience with them. And uh, the way that it opens up is someone gets up and, and they start giving their testimony. And so you get to hear testimony. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to a guy who looks very similar to me. And, and he's giving his testimony on how, you know, he, he was addicted to pornography mm. and how he was able to get through it. And I'm, I'm in the crowd and I'm like, wait a minute, that's my struggle. Mm. 
That's what I've been struggling with, was pornography. So if you're telling me that you're addicted to it and that you weren't able to break it on your own, then why have I been telling myself that I'm just struggling with this for so long? And it's because that I hadn't been able to put the pin in the word addiction. It had never become a clearer thing to me until that moment. Wow. And so I left there thinking, you know, if this, was, if this was still a struggle, I could go on and I could think to myself, eventually I'll overcome this. Eventually I'll be able to do this on my own. Right. But now that I know it's an addiction, mm-hmm. I, can't, I know I can't do it on my own. Mm-hmm. And I know that time will not heal this. Mm-hmm. So I have to go talk to my wife now. And so I went home to talk to my wife, something that I had not shared with her um, except for before our marriage. And it had still been going on. And so I went to her and I said, this is the reality. This is what I've just realized. And I'm scared. I'm very scared. Because now that I see it's an addiction, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And she was hurt, rightfully so. But she looked at me and she showed the face of Jesus when she said, I'm not ashamed of you. And I love you and I want to support you in whatever way I can. Wow. And so, I mean... I spent, after that, I was in a 12-step study. I got a sponsor. I attended Celebrate Recovery. I went to Faithful and True uh, Support and uh, Recovery Group for Sexual Addiction. I went, uh, no, I actually put every software known to man on all my devices. I've tested so many of them. I can give you great advice on the best ones. Um, I've read book after book, podcast after podcast, and I pay for... Uh, a therapist for wow. professional counseling. Um, I've done everything that I know I can do up to this point. And I've learned some really amazing things in which I've written down because mm. they're important to me. <laughs> so um, here's some of the things that I've learned so far. I've learned that shame and isolation are broken when I'm in a room full of men who share the same issue as me. I've learned that support and recovery groups provide a place for honesty without fear, which then has in turn caused me to become more truthful. I've learned that figuring out my triggers, patterns, and habits has been crucial towards breaking uh, the cycle of addiction. I've learned that uh, connecting with my emotions allows me to better express what's actually going on in me so I can do something about it in a healthy way. I've learned that at our core, a lot of us, including myself, have believed some really, really bad lies about ourselves. And if we don't give those false beliefs to God, that we'll never give him the chance to change them. I've learned that I was trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I learned the hard way that the wrong posture is how long will this take? And that the correct posture is whatever it takes. I also learned that addiction fosters selfishness, believe it or not. And uh, (laughs) part of a way of battling that is through selflessness. And so in an act of selflessness and with a burden and a word from God and a very close friend of mine, (laughs) um, I was helped to launch uh, Steadfast in 2019, which is a support and recovery group for uh, men's sexual integrity. And in that time, we've had over 20 men come out And I've had the pleasure of seeing insane transformations in people, like crazy. And um, 
I'll just end with all of this is because, all this is possible because I heard a testimony, I confessed my sin, and I took an action. Wow. Wow. That is awesome. That is awesome. Good job, man. <laughs> so, your group, you have a group here in the church, yes? Yes. Uh, so they should just get in touch with you. You can do get that in touch through with me. on our website, northwestorlando.com. Yeah, you all, we also have it on the... Um, our page. Group finder. Yes. Yeah. Thank Excellent. You. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate yeah, thank it. You. Sean Roberts, everyone. That is good. What is addiction? Addiction is a persistent use of a drug despite substantial harm and adverse consequences. A drug is not something that's just uh, fentanyl or cocaine or something. It's whatever is your drug that makes you feel good about yourself. It's your upper or your downer. That's what addiction is. Well, how does addiction work in our lives? Years ago, I was uh, interning with um, a gentleman in London, um, and he was one of my father's closest friends. He was a pastor, a minister of the gospel, and he had quite a succinct and amazing gift of uh, uh, prophecy, or not prophecy, sorry, prophetic counseling. That's basically counseling with the ability to hear God on your behalf for you. His ability to know how to actually lead a full and healthy and whole life was quite amazing. But there was this one time I was with him and I asked him a question. I said, Johnny, everybody admires you and respects you. You counsel up to 7,000 people in a year. You're in so much demand for your counseling abilities. But here's what we all have to admit. You're a man just like anybody else is. So surely you must struggle with sin like anybody else does. So what do you do about sin? How do you handle sin is what I asked him. And he said, you're asking the wrong question. It's not sin that is your problem. It's something entirely different. Because if you could handle sin, then you wouldn't need the cross of Christ. If you knew how to deal with it, you wouldn't need Jesus. You'd be able to deal with it and it'd all be sorted out and fixed. The fact is you can't deal with sin. You can't fix sin. What's done is what's done. He said, what you should be asking is, what is my real issue? And he said, your real problem is temptation. That's your real challenge in life. And that changed the way I started approaching things. Because when you look at your sin, you, you usually look at it and you feel guilty. You feel burdened by it. You feel bad about it. You just feel like, I can't deal with this. You feel that weight. But when you look at temptation... It's something that is natural to all of us. And I want you to show, I want you to, to see something in the scripture in James chapter one. James chapter one, verse 14 and 15. It says this, but each person is tempted. And he's about to describe what happens when temptation is activated. Now, everybody's tempted, but it doesn't mean you're actually activated. It doesn't mean that it comes to pass in your life. You can be tempted to do something, but you say no to it, and it's not activated in your life. It has no power. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Enticed basically means an opportunity that comes your way to fulfill your desires. And enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
I want to look at several words in the Scripture that I think should give us a deeper understanding of what it is that we're wrestling with. When you look at the word desire, the word desire can sometimes be vilified, like, oh, you shouldn't have these desires. You should, you should kill all desires within yourself. Well, God's designed us to have desires. We all have desires. I have a desire to have a really nice lunch after this, after this service. I have a desire to drink some of that wine that Jesus turned from water into wine, right? I have a desire to have sex. I have a desire to relax. I have a desire to do things that are not so bad, right? Until they do become bad. Until there's something that controls me. Until it's something that I'm, I'm doing too much of, right? So desires don't all mean that they're all bad. But when we're actually trying to use our desires to fix our problems or to fix our inadequacies or to fix our sin, now we have a problem. Because oftentimes what we do, and maybe you're not a Christian, you don't believe in Christianity, you don't believe in sin, you don't believe in necessarily morality, so you can't take sin to the cross. Or maybe you are a Christian, you do believe in it, but you've not actually taken all of your sin to the cross. You've actually decided to deal with the sin that's in your heart with your desires. Now, what is sin? Let's, let's define what sin is, first of all. Well, a vice is something that you do against yourself. A crime is something that you do that is wrong against somebody else. But a sin is something that you do that's wrong against God. But a vice and a sin will always, sorry, a vice and a crime will always be a sin against God. You see, if I take my car and I take my car and I decide, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to put water in the gas tank to see if that makes it work. I'm going to ruin the car. I've actually committed a sin against the design of the car. I've also committed a sin or a crime against the designer who has designed it to function a certain way. And so in the same way, when we don't live up to the design that God has put inside of us in order for us to have that joy, that peace, that life to the full that he promised us, we are now violating our design and we're violating the designer who made us to function a certain way. That's why alcohol is not a bad thing, but when you're putting copious amounts of alcohol in your body and you're making your liver shut down, you're making your budget shut down, you're now violating the design that God has given you. You're using your desires to fix some other problem within yourself. The problem with sin is it's easy to think of sin as just something that is in your life that you planted there. But sin is not just something that you planted there. Sin can be something that someone else planted there in your life too. You now have your sin and someone else's sin intricately connected together. You see, past trauma of things that your father or mother did or didn't do or did or didn't say has an effect on what you think about yourself and what you feel about yourself. So my desires actually can be to try and make myself feel good about myself because my dad didn't encourage me enough. So I'm going to use my desires to make myself feel bold. I'll use anger to make myself feel bold. Or I didn't get much affection from my mother. So what I'll do is I'll sleep around with as many people as I can because I still have a desire to be loved, but I'm using this desire to fix the sin that was put in my life. Does this make sense? This is why it's so important that we have to understand that sin is something we have to give to God, but it's the desires in our own life that we have to address. If my desire is trying to fix sin, then I'm carrying the sin. 
We have to get to the place where we assign the sin to the right place that God has told us to put it. And that is at the foot of the cross. You see, the power of the cross is this. It's not the, the, the fact that Jesus just died and he paid a price for our sin, but it's that he actually forgave us for the things that we did. So when we actually bring our sins to the cross, we're receiving the forgiveness for the things that we've done in the past. But Jesus said this. He said, you can't receive that forgiveness unless you bring someone else's sin that was done to you and put it on the cross as well. He said this, look at this. He says, for if you forgive, in Matthew 6, 14, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So whenever you have not decided to forgive those who have cursed you, forgive those who have hurt you, forgive those who have brought you down, then you are now stuck with not only the curse of their sin in your life, you're stuck with your own sin within yourself. What a burden to carry. You know, when I was growing up as a pastor's kid, I loved church, but then I started to hate church because, not because I, th I thought it was a bad church or anything, but I just because of the way that people used to treat my parents. And I hated it. I hated the way that it just seemed to take up all the time of my dad and, and he, would just, he would just run him around and he would serve, 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 and yet they acted like children and it made me angry. I grew in bitterness. Their sin made me sin. Now, I have to take responsibility for my sin. But the only way I can get rid of my own sin is if I let go of their sin. I have to forgive them. The word forgiveness literally means a pushing away. A pushing away, getting rid of something. Getting rid of it out of your life. So the only way I can get rid of sin is I've got to take my sin and whatever has been done to me, the trauma that's done to me, and take it to the cross and say, I choose to forgive them. Then it says in James chapter 1, a next word, and it says this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. What does enticed mean? Enticed is basically another way of saying an opportunity, uh, uh, something that is out there that is trying to fulfill the desire that you have. And I believe this, that desire is always on a potential collision course with opportunity. Because opportunity is out there. The opportunity for you to stumble and fall is always going to exist. If you have a desire to overcome your own sin of rejection and you use alcohol to do that, an opportunity is out there waiting for you to fulfill that desire. Now the problem is, when desire and opportunity cross paths, then you now have a problem. You now have something that is now taking hold of your life. And if you use your desire to try and fix this past sin trauma, then the opportunity comes along to try and make you feel good about yourself, to try and make you feel peace, to try and make you feel some sort of power in your life, some sort of experience of joy in your life, and it may work for a while. But every time you're trying to take your desire and you allow it to be fulfilled through an opportunity, you're trying to overcome the sin you're just getting to a place where you're now gonna go into addiction. You see, you'll never be over, able to overcome sin. You'll never be able to overcome the trauma that God, that someone else has put in your life because only the cross of Christ can overcome that, I believe. Only what God has done in our lives and God has done through the cross of Christ can we actually be free. 
Now, let's not think that it's sin that's the only problem. Because let's say we have actually taken our sin and we have put it on the cross. I'm a Christian. I've been forgiven. Look at that. But I still decide to allow my desires to be fulfilled by a bad opportunity. No, that will never happen because we got rid of sin, right? No, Adam and Eve were tempted. Even Jesus was tempted before he went into ministry. This says that the Spirit of God allowed him to be tempted by the enemy. Why is that so important? Because I believe that Jesus had to go through what we go through in order to show us how to be rid of it. Then it continues on in the scripture. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire, enticed by the opportunities. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, right? We just figured that out. Okay, I just had this sin that's going on and it's just, I've now done something wrong. I, went, I ate too much food and I knew I shouldn't, but I was depressed and I decided to do it. I went and looked at something online. I used my anger and I fought someone. I argued with them. I used my bitterness. Whatever it is, is your thing that you're trying to overcome. You take your sin and you go back to the cross, but your behavior doesn't change. So you go back to yeah, life and it's like, okay, we've, we've dealt with that. That's all in the past. We go back to life and then my desires start filling up again. My trauma starts filling up again. My own selfish desires start filling up again. And then it crosses the path with opportunity and I go back to sin. And then I go, oh, here's the sin. Let me take a sin. I'll put it back on the cross. That's wonderful. But here's the problem. If you don't change, if you don't choose to change the cycle, you'll get tired and give too much conviction and you'll have too much shame that you won't want to take sin back to the cross again. You won't. It'll burn you out. There has to be a change of behavior. We must get to a place where we get sick of our addiction because addiction is unsatiated. It says this, and when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. Full grown. Full grown means I did it once, I took my sin, I, I pull it back, I'm gonna get disciplined again, I'm not gonna do that again. Then I go about in life and oh, the opportunity comes my way, I fall into it again, oh, I better go back to God and I go back again, I go back again. Each time we're doing it, it's becoming full grown. That's addiction. When you're doing it over and 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 over again. Amen. How many things have you got in your life that you're doing over and over and over and over and over again? You know you are. You keep going back to the mirror and keep criticizing yourself. And instead of getting counseling, instead of trying to deal with that issue, it's just like, I'll just, I'll cover over it and I'll pretend like it's not really there. I'll use food to cover over it. I'll use alcohol to cover over it. I'll use plastic surgery. I'll use scrolling it endlessly online. I'll use something else to make myself feel good about myself again. I'll do online gaming. I'll get into movies and I'll start looking at other people's lives instead of looking at my own life. It's over and over and over and over again. How do we defeat this then? Today's title of today's teaching was the tools to overcome. But actually, I believe the tools to overcome addiction is relationships. There are two relationships I do believe that we have to have in our lives. Two relationships we need to overcome addiction. This guy called Johan Hari, who's a speaker on addiction, says the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. There's a disconnect within our lives, within our emotions that allow us to keep going around in this cycle. And the first one is this. We have to have a relationship with Christ. Now, having a relationship with Christ isn't just that I said the sinner's prayer and, and now I go to church and I sing songs and I, I listen to scripture and blah, blah, blah. That's a relationship with religion. 
We're looking for a relationship with Christ, the person. We believe he's a person. We believe he speaks to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to make time for Christ. Sometimes when people are telling me, you know, they're going through a difficult time in their life, I always have three specific questions I always ask them. The first one is this, tell me how you spend time with God. Yeah, you know, I probably don't spend enough time with God. Then I don't know what you think I'm going to bring to the table that's going to fix this more than you having a relationship with Jesus. Because I can't tell you to do something other than what I have learned to do, and that was to follow Jesus. I don't have another solution. Go do what you know you're meant to do, and then come back and let's talk about that. That makes sense. You see, a relationship with Christ is not about religion. Even Alcoholics Anonymous, AA says this, that you need a greater power than yourself. However greater power that is, go ahead. I still believe it's Jesus. We need a savior. Now, why is Jesus the way? I believe he's the way because he said that he was both God and man. God has the power to overcome the things that I don't, and he's a man, which means he can show me how to do it. I can't relate to someone who doesn't look like me, sound like me, or isn't even a being like me, but Jesus is. So what did Jesus say about temptation? Let me tell you what he said about temptation. He told us in Matthew chapter five, verse 29 and 30, he said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, get a pair of sunglasses. Just look away, just oh, oh, get blurred glasses, just something else. No, he doesn't, he doesn't make any negotiation with us. He says, gouge it out. What, what type of Jesus is this? What type of guy is this who would make you sacrifice your body? The same guy who did sacrifice his own body. Gouge it out and throw it away. Don't let your body and your desires get in between you and the treasures that God has in store for you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. All right, well, I guess I'll have to get rid of one of these eyes. That's great. Uh-uh, let us talk about your hands. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Are we all gonna be handless and eyeless Christians? I was, in, I was just in Publix the other day. I saw a guy with an eye and I'm like, I wonder if he's a Christian who took that literally. I don't know. I don't think Jesus is telling us to literally cut out our eye. He's trying to give us an example. This is how serious you have to get with your temptations, with your desires. It's like, oh, we have to get serious about sin. He's already done it. You have to get serious about your desires, about your temptations. You have to tackle that part of yourself. It seems a little brutal, I get it. But we have to be deliberate about this. If you have a problem with looking at stuff online, get rid of your computers. Get rid of your computers, get a dumb phone. Or only look at, look, at, look at your computer when there's someone else there with you. Or get every kind of controlling software that tells on you before you get into it. You see, what you don't do is try and deal with sin and opportunity when you're in the temptation of it. You do it way before. Today I'm thinking clear. Today I'm thinking right. Let me start making clear decisions of what I should do in my life before my trauma comes up, before the opportunity of sin comes my way, before temptation comes my path. Let me do it now because I know tomorrow there's a good chance I'm gonna be down and it's gonna take me out. You have to decide to do it now. We have to decide to put a gap between opportunity 
and your desires. There's got to be a gap. This desire has to get closer to the cross of Christ. This opportunity has to be pushed away. A few years ago, I was traveling for ministry in a conference in California, and I always travel with someone else because you never know what's going to come up, and I don't need the accusation. And so we were, out, we were out for lunch and we were, we were sitting at the bar because it was the only place to actually get a seat in this place. And this, this woman came up and started sitting beside us, struck up a conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're, we're pastors. Oh, you're pastors. That's great. And then it led to one thing and next thing. And then she's like, hey, would you guys like to go out for a movie together? I'm like, oh, we got to get an early start tomorrow. An early start. Yep, yep, we got to go. And we just walked. And it was a reminder once again that this opportunity is not without an enemy behind it. You see, as Pastor Mark was talking about last week, this opportunity is not stationary. It's moving around and it's trying to get close to your desires. It's trying to take you down. I'm not looking to try and violate my marriage, but I don't trust myself enough to think I'm strong by myself. You need the second thing, and that is relationship with the right community. First thing I would say is this, James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing comes when you are confessing and praying and interacting with the joy and enthusiasm in this room right now, with each other, right? The person beside you, someone you need to be accountable to. Everyone knows just because you're sitting beside the person, because you're watching TV with your wife does not mean you're having an intimate relational time with her. If you want to actually grow in your relationship with your spouse, look at them and talk. Love them. Speak to them. Ask them about them. No, we just watch TV together. That's not having a relationship. That's winding down in the exact same room. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing stops you ever needing vice ever again that you'll become addicted to. Choose to be around. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says this, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Choose to be around the people you need to be like. If you're only around people who bring you bad stuff, maybe you should leave them. Now, if you've got no problem being around them and you're winning them to Christ, that's great. We have to go to the world and win people who are in sin. But if their sin is overcoming you, you need to run from it. It doesn't say walk away. It says flee is what Scripture says. Maybe you're going to a school, you're in a job that seems to get you out and about and go clubbing and all that type of thing. Then you end up drunk and maybe you end up in someone else's bed. Leave the job. Leave the job. Oh, but I can't afford, I need to keep this job. It's a really good job. It's killing you. The, Jesus told us, cut it off. Gouge it out. If that's the vehicle that's taking you to a place of being promiscuous or, 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 or falling apart in this opportunity, get rid of it. Your tools are in the people that you're with. Your tools are in the relationship that you need to have with Christ. I'll say it again. Your problem isn't sin. Jesus has already dealt with that. Your problem is temptation. You have to decide today before it comes along. Like, is anyone tempted right now? Is anyone feeling tempted right now? No, most of us probably not feeling tempted right now. We're all in a room where we've got no activated temptation because we're listening to the word of Christ. This is the time you start making decisions. This is the time you go to someone else and say, I'm gonna choose to give this thing up. Can you hold me accountable? 
can we get in relationship with each other? This is the time. Let's stand this morning as we end our service because I've got nothing to give you other than that. There's nothing else I can give. There's no special prayer I can give you that's gonna sprinkle fairy dust of a prayer on you. It's gonna be absolutely wonderful and you'll be released of all temptation. You're gonna walk into temptation. It's gonna happen. You have to decide now. That's all it takes. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would help us to make a decision that you would give us an urgency within our spirit to decide to bring our desires into alignment with the cross. And help us, Father, to make decisions today to choose to avoid certain opportunities that come our way. Help us to get into relationship. Remind us, bug us, annoy us, irritate us into the kingdom of God if that's what it takes because this is how much we need you. We really need you, Father. We need you and we thank you that you've given us Jesus who's shown us the right way to do this. And we ask us, ask that you would pray that you'd fill us up with your spirit, oh God. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. If you need to take next steps, you can go to our website, northwestorlando.com forward slash recovery dash resources, recovery dash resources, or you can take a picture of this. Get in touch, get counseling, get connected. We want to help you walk through this. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Have a great day.